With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name is Sammy James and welcome to another in-depth episode where we look at a certain issue to do with Fulham FC. Hope you are all well and staying safe wherever you are across the world. And of course, in these strange times, rather than really get into depth with what's happening and the decisions and the potential lockdown uh, escalations that are happening, we thought we'd look into certain issues of Fulham Football Club that are of interest to us and hopefully of interest to you too. A fortnight ago, we looked at Fulham's finances and today we're talking all things to do with the Riverside stand and the redevelopment that is currently ongoing. Uh, And I'm joined by two gentlemen that really have their ear to the ground with all things off the pitch to do with Fulham FC. First of all is Farrell Monk. Good evening, Sammy. On your fancy new microphone that you've bought especially for the occasion. uh, you're, You're sounding loud, you're coming through loud and clear, Farrell. Um, it does look like I'm talking to the top of Darth Vader's head, though, uh, which is <laughs> fun. Um, maybe I'll put a picture up of, of it later, but it's a good thing I didn't buy the black one then. And chair of the Fulham Supporters Trust, Tom Greatrix, is on the line with us as well. How are you doing, Tom? Very well, thanks. Hi, Sammy. Hi, Farrell. Uh, Tom, I saw your tweet um, from about 49 minutes ago. Um, lots of newspaper clippings and pamphlets and all sorts uh, to do with the Riverside stand. It's good to see that you've been uh, deep in the Great Treks archives uh, for this episode. Well, it's not like there's very much else to do, is it, at the moment? But there's uh, you forget, actually, quite how many twists and turns there have been on this road to finally getting uh, something that will happen at Craven Cottage that I think is imperative to keeping Fulham at Craven Cottage for the long term. So, you know, there's there's a lot of background to all this that goes back years and years and years and years. Well, yeah, that's basically you've summed up the, the aims for today's episode. So uh, we want to kind of talk about the latest developments to do with the Riverside stand, how it's getting on in April 2020, maybe what the, the date of completion may be, but also just looking at the stand's redevelopment in the wider context historically. Um, of course, uh, the Riverside stand was only rebuilt in, in the 70s and there have been lots of different plans to, to redevelop Craven Cottage. So why exactly this plan is the one that's gone through after years and years of us really trying to properly redevelop the site in SW6. So, um, Tom, I'll start with you. Uh, today, the FST had a meeting uh, with the club, a virtual meeting, obviously, that I'm led to believe. Um, were there any developments on the Riverside stand that the club uh, gave you today? Any kind of updates on where we're at with the stand? Yeah, well, people who have been because they happen to live there or exercising near there will have, will have noticed that have seen it in, in recent weeks that work's ongoing um, on the site and the club confirmed that was uh, continuing um, partly because it's a relatively early stage of work that means the bit, ability to do the social distancing whilst on the construction site is 
is there. It's not that they're, they're doing the finishing touches and that that's more problematic if you're in that sense. So uh, that work's ongoing. Um, there's some benefits from us not having played a game there for however long it is now, five weeks, six weeks, whatever, whatever the period of time is, um, in terms of ability to get some of the work done. But then there are disbenefits in terms of um, supplies and uh, parts and things coming in onto site, which is more challenging and more difficult and some of them they're coming internationally not available so um i think they described it as being um uh the impact as being slightly uh net negative overall in terms of time scale but they're still confident that the 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 build will proceed and we'll be able to finish uh in time for us to be able to use that stand at the start of the season after next um so the 21 22 season Whenever that will be, I guess, because with with the knock on effect of, of football at know, the moment, yeah. I mean, yeah. who knows exactly when the seasons are going to fall in in the next couple of years? I think uh, we can all accept that the knock on is going to be much more than just uh, this summer, isn't it? Farrell, um, I've walked past um, the ground uh, a few times in the past few months. It's one of my places that I go for it for a designated walk, uh, and you can really now start to see that whilst there's no structure going up the groundwork is really looking impressive and that pier that kind of stretching into the river um is really starting to take shape now of course uh shame you don't live in putney anymore otherwise uh, i guess you'd be uh, able to see it a lot more than from where you live now in east london yeah absolutely i do miss that uh, that nice walk that goes from putney bridge uh all the way round through barnes and then back up to hammersmith bridge but it's you know, it's very different from the one I have at the Riverside in, in East London. Now there's a lot less going on. But yeah, I think it's it's going to be one of those ones where it's starting to take shape. But, you know, towards the end of the project, it would look like not much has happened. And then all of a sudden within the next, you know, within a, a few weeks to a month, suddenly this grand new stand that will completely eclipse the old Riverside stand would would be there in its place. And we wouldn't, you know, we, we, we would... Um, be excited to have a, a look from inside as opposed to outside the stand whenever that may be um and it would certainly look a lot more impressive than it does than it does now especially since i'm getting a little bit more excited as as in preparation for this podcast i've been looking at some of the planning documents um trying to fill a lot of my isolation time obviously um and yeah it, i am getting more and more excited um about the fact that there will be a huge new sand in its place and in in a total contrast at how it potentially could have been almost two decades ago. So, Tom, um, just any other bits from that meeting, really? Was there any other updates from the club apart from just that uh, things are a little bit difficult because of the the current situation? Well, the the club reiterated that the, the owner's commitment to the stand is continuing ongoing. They're actually in a position where they've been able to have quite a lot of discussion with potential um, occupiers of some of the retail uh, um, sites, not retail, um, catering, you know, on for the non-match day stuff. So all of that is is ongoing despite the the current circumstances. So I think what I'd, I'd take from the, the discussion today with the club on that is that, um, you know, there hasn't been any negative impact in terms of the projects and the not happening or being paused or being... 
uh, you know, people looking to see changing the design or anything like that. So um, I think that's all all positive. Yeah, and I'm actually quite relieved personally to hear that social distancing has been able to continue on the site. Um, obviously, it must have its difficulties, but there, there has, I think it's been a couple of weeks now, but there was a lot of controversy in the press about construction sites um, staying open in the UK, but it seems that Fulham have managed to find a way for for that to still happen because at the moment everyone's staying safe and putting as little pressure on the NHS at the, uh, as possible is is the ultimate priority. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the point to note on that is that because it's at a relatively early stage and it's groundworks, the ability to be able to do work on that site whilst maintaining social distancing is possible. If this had been a year into the project, you might have found some very different impacts. Uh, right. So, Farrell, you said you've been looking through some of the plans for the Riverside. Now, we've all seen the glossy photo. We all got it uh, with our season ticket pack at, at the beginning of the year. But what will Fulham fans actually experience when when the stand opens? Uh, how do you envisage it improving Craven Cottage or, or the feel of it? I mean, a cynic would say that actually it may not be regular fans that really feel the benefit of this stand obviously visually we might but it, it is obviously very much catered at that hospitality angle yeah absolutely and um, I think there are quite a number of significant benefits there are going to be to Fulham fans and their viewing experience um, you know not just by the fact that we are getting well two new quite large uh, turnstile areas for the for the Riverside stand I don't know whether they're actually going to be um, for you know at, at each side, and they're going to be accessed for the Putney ends, Putney and Hammersmith ends. But you know, I think in that sort of crush before you get to get along uh, the Stevenage Road stand to try and get into the ground is is does get quite tight, and you know more more turnstiles on on each side would would make a, a massive difference to getting to the ground and getting in on time because the amount of times I've been sort of struggling to get to the ground, and then I see a, a you know the queues going all the way back to the to the Stevenage Road wall and having to wait in a queue is, is a little bit annoying. But yeah, so uh, that, you know, that's one huge benefit. But, you know, when you when you think about um, you are increasing the, the stadium by 4,000 seats, you know, it's not an insignificant amount. And, you know, when you look back at the sort of ticket pricing stuff that has gone on for the last, you know, a year or so now, and that what, you know, this won't be a case of if they are going to have like more expensive seats, then hopefully then there will be a balance in between the seats and the rest of the ground that the the numbers that it would be able to attract to the ground, um, they won't be fans that will be replacing fans who've been who can no longer go to the games because it's too expensive. They will be in addition, which I think is a massive benefit to to long lasting and loyal Fulham fans. But, you know, if if you are able to get into the Riverside stand, there's obviously lots of people who, who are probably listening who are, well, former season ticket holders in the Riverside stand. You know, you're looking at the, the makeup of the stand and, you know, been able to sort of dig in and find that, you know, the, 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 the baseline plans are sort of ground floor is going to be a full concourse kind of area. The, the first floor would just be purely restaurants and the second floor would be concourse with sort of extra space for events and and uh, and suites. Um, also in the basement level, there's going to be a large function room apparently, but there's, other, there's one other sort of like important thing to note here is that, um, not only will the unbroken view of the river, uh, the river will be, will be there and available for half time, full time, pre, 
pre-game pints, but also the first floor as well to anyone who managed to get up to the restaurants as well. I don't know how it's going to work in terms of um, restaurants being available, the the ones that the restaurants are going to be available on non, on match days and match days, but that remains to be seen and they're sort of smaller things. But, you know, looking through the plans, it's all, you know, it's it looks quite swish. It looks quite... Um, looks very nice and looks very well planned and I'm really looking forward to doing it but as far as what it's actually going to look like when it comes out we've only got artist impressions so um, hopefully it's going to be completely another a new white wall um, around Craven Cottage. It's quite a peculiar design Tom in the fact that actually the new upper stand as far as I can tell is going to be significantly larger than the lower stands at the riverside uh, it's going to almost feel quite top heavy in that sense yeah it does look like that doesn't it i mean um and i'm not sure for the the reasons for that there's probably a mixture of aesthetic and practical reasons for doing that i mean i think the thing to think about about the benefit of it that farrell was just touching on is that there are different ways in which it will benefit people who might might never sit there you know because the biggest factor is not actually the increase in capacity and the additional seats but it's, it's the facilities that enable uh the club to offer premium seats with various different tiers of um uh hospitality and catering in, in a way that just wasn't possible with the old stand i remember talking to uh people at the club a couple of years ago when we were in the championship last time and i think it was only brentford and burton that had less corporate available seats than Fulham uh, and because of the way that the ground was previously configured and, and just the age of the riverside, the old riverside stand. So it wasn't actually all that old and at, back at the time it almost bankrupted the club when it got built. Actually it was pretty unsuitable for um, those aspects of, of the way in which uh, football clubs try to get in match day income and as we've seen in the last few weeks looking at some of the figures on match day income uh, and, the, and the hit on clubs you can see how important that is whether you're in the Premier League or, or in the Football League. So, you know, the benefit for someone like me, for example, who will probably very rarely have ever sit there, um, is going to be the the larger benefit in terms of the income of the club are able to achieve from that stand, uh, both in terms of um, financial fair play and whatever those successor rules might be in the future uh, that enable uh, the club to then spend money in, in other ways. And secondly, the point that Farrell hinted at, and we've seen... For example, with um, uh, with Liverpool, since they redeveloped their main stand, is that it has had a beneficial impact on ticket prices in other parts of the ground, and also what you've seen at, at Tottenham in the first experience of that ground, which is it's significantly changed the behaviour of lots of match-going fans in the sense that fans, because of the bar that's of bars that are available there and being available to supporters from other parts of the ground before and after, mean that people will spend more time in the ground and provided it's reasonably priced as they've done at Spurs um, they will spend their money there rather than than in some other places or somewhere and that also has a beneficial impact so there's there's benefits to people whether or not you actually end up sitting there ever well yeah well I actually do hope that becomes a, a real thing I've had some really nice times um, having a drink post-match um, at McBride's and those bars along the riverside I remember watching a couple of Grand Nationals there in, in April and stuff after the three o'clock match but of course McBride's has such a limited 
capacity really you have to either pay a lot of money to get in there or or know somebody um to be able to 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 drink there but actually hopefully with the with the expanded pier and everything else like that 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 fans will be able to utilize it because it's a magnificent spot and maybe with the old design of the stand because it was so thin the gap between the stand and and the river now more fans every get every day punters will be able to use that on a regular basis which is only good for for the club and the fan base to have somewhere other than local pubs to congregate before and after we'd hope so i mean it's certainly one of the things that as a trust we're pushing the club that that should be and taking into account the Tottenham experience is something they should definitely aim to do which is that as well as the facilities that are used for people who pay premium prices and come with whatever packages be they corporate or individuals uh during the game that certainly after the games um that if there's the ability to open up some of that to the wider fan base, wherever they're sitting, then that's something which should certainly be encouraged. And I think will be, as you say, a, a commercial benefit to the club, but also a benefit for supporters and, and again, helping to build and, and develop and maintain the atmosphere that we want to see amongst amongst Fulham supporters. So how's the stand going to operate on a non-match day? Will it be any more than just a few cafes, bars and function rooms available for, for those um, that, that are able to, to afford it, Farrell? Or do you see this having a wider impact on the community? I guess the opening of the Riverside Path and as someone that used to live in Putney and has walked around there a lot, th- the importance of that can't really be understated. Yeah, I think it's one of those historic things that, you know, that come with being living in Hammersmith and Fulham or living in, in you know, Wandsworth, Putney, uh, that those riverside walks are quite important to the people that live there. Um, and, you know, opening that up has always been the ambition of the club, whether it was underneath Khan or underneath uh, Al Fayed, although, you know, we can come on to his sort of um, input into how Craven Cottage was going to come out a bit later on, but... Um, yeah, those you know that's that's obviously a massive benefit to to people who leisurely, but in, you know in terms of the offering at, at, at the um, at the uh, at the stadium itself on non match days, you know I'm not entirely sure what what is actually going to happen. You have the, the you have these restaurants that are going to be there, or other other bars that are usually open on the concourse uh, during match day. Are they going to be there as well? I'm I'm not entirely sure, but there's also you know, looking at the looking at other things involved in in terms of the planning, they're also giving one hundred and fifty thousand pounds to the redevelopment of Putney Bridge Station. I don't know what that's I don't know what that's going to be in there. Maybe they're buying a new train or uh, another <laughs> sta- another staircase. I'm not entirely sure what that's going to mean. Um, you know, so there's I think there's you know, and there's obviously that does mean that if they're going to you know, there's four thousand more fans coming to a game. There's going to be more people who are wanting to get to the stadium a bit earlier on. That might actually mean that. Um, more fans will plan to get there down there early. Maybe we'll see more restaurants and, and bars and shops along Fulham Palace Road before long. Um, you know, maybe there's going to be a rival to the Great Golden Lion. Who knows? Uh, Tom, from what you've been speaking to the club about, what what are their plans for, for non-match day? The one that's really got me is the apartments and the and the, the, the and in the design. I don't know if it'll actually come true, but there looks like a swimming pool on top of the roof. It it does look not very much like a football stadium and a little bit more like the Westfield up the road in some places. Yeah, yeah, the design does a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, although I'm not sure, I think there's probably quite a lot of artistic licence in those pictures because I was having a look at them and it looked like they had solar panels on them, but they were facing the wrong way. So it wouldn't be (laughs) very much use. Um, 
I mean, on, on non-match day, the the thing, the important thing in the planning permission that the that the the club got was enabling that to be able to operate pretty much all the time on non-match days. And as you said, if you if you live in that area and you use that river walk, I mean, I don't anymore. I did a long, long time ago, but. Um, one of the games last season, I can't remember, this season, I was there very early and just noticed how many people walking from Hammersmith down, how many people are walking or running or cycling or out with their kids or their dogs up and down that, that stretch of river um, during the course of a normal Saturday morning, you know, quite apart from uh, people being there for football. So, you know, I think they, the, the club and the and the, uh, the Khan uh, more generally, Khan regime more generally is sort of, identified there's a there's a big potential market there and that's money that will go in to help to sustain the club in other ways i think you know the what they're doing at the moment is talking to various potential operators of those be those restaurants bars and i think you'll see a, you know, a very similar type of uh, facilities that you see up and down that that part of london in any case that's geared to a pretty affluent uh, local population that probably in a, in one stretch of the river where there isn't very much at the moment that they might may find that there's a, a very strong market for and you think about all the housing in apartments that's further up that stretch of river that's local to that now as well as the more established housing so there's quite a significant market there i mean i think to the point about that those facilities then being used on match day uh, the idea is that um they'll be interchangeable so that if there's something which is a you know, a restaurant that's operating on non-match days, that will then be one of the corporate restaurants that's used for packages um, that people buy into on match days. So they're interchangeable between match days and non-match days. And that's that's something where we've been talking about how you get the identity and history of the club in, into some aspects of that, where sort of some of the challenges there about, you know, so who those some of those operators might be. Um, but I think that, the, you know, the whole Fulham Pier, which is what it's officially called concept, is about yes. providing income income streams into the club and associated with the club on non-match days. And that's something which, uh, you know, again, if you look at some of the recently published figures on, 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 on other income streams beyond broadcasting from lots of different clubs, the, some of the most successful clubs have got that diversified income stream, which is important. I think, in terms of the, the longer-term goal of, of a sustainability of the football club. Speaking of those um, runners that you see on a Saturday morning, hopefully they've invested a lot of money in uh, stopping them running down Stevenage Road on match days when their people are queuing up. I don't know what's going. I don't know what goes through people's minds when they decide to go run down there at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Yeah, Tom, it's an interesting point you bring up there about Fulham Pier because I think there's actually maybe a website that a lot of fans haven't seen. It was certainly released quite quietly by the club, and probably for good reason because if you look at this site, you would actually not know that this is anything to do with a football club it's obviously advertising um the use of the facilities on non-match day uh, around craven cottage but even in the photos there is basically no indication that this is a football uh, mm. stand um being being built so what were the kind of plans that the trust was talking to the club about in making it a bit more fulham because if you look at this your fear as a fan would be that you would go there and you would just there would be no affinity to the club and i know that's something that arsenal fans particularly found when they moved into the emirates um and they kind of had to make quite a rehashed job of trying to arsenalify it by adding players' names and statues uh, around the ground. 
Yeah, I think there's a distinction between uh, a new stand and a new stadium. Obviously, Arsenal and others that have moved to stadiums that have felt soulless and characterless and they've tried to retrofit it with stuff about atmosphere. I think that's different from a stand at an existing stadium. But nevertheless, we have, as a trust, been talking to the club about trying to find ways of integrating the history and heritage of Fulham into the fabric of the new stadium and different new stand in different ways. Uh, both because that's something which is a big part of the character of the club and potentially attractive to people who, why would they have hospitality at Fulham as opposed to somewhere else, for example. Um, but without doing that in a way which detracts from the ability to be able to uh, get income on non-match days. Because you're quite right, when you look at that Fulham Pier website, it almost feels as though the, the fact that there's a football stadium isn't mentioned or is hardly mentioned. And in a way, that's because on non-match days, it's designed not to be uh, a football stand. It's designed to be um, a uh, uh, facilities um, and commercial opportunities that face onto that bit of the river. And this is where you come back to the big picture about Fulham, because frankly, I really don't think that matters if on non-match days there are restaurants and bars and whatever else that are on that bit of river frontage that people are going to use because it's a nice place to be and it's a part of London where uh, there's a there's a clientele for it. If that is helping uh, maintain Fulham being a Craven Cottage for the long term, which ultimately is what the big picture is all about. So I'm quite, I'm quite relaxed about that. Um, and I don't think it's something we should necessarily be too worried about as long as that uh, on match days and around the ground, the history and heritage and character of the club is maintained is maintained as an integral part of the marketing of, of the facilities. Okay, well, let's move away from the kind of um, current plans and the upcoming plans for the stand. I guess there's only so much we can say about it because there's only so much that the club are releasing. And um, for, for interest of fairness, we did ask them uh, for comments. They didn't really give us too much other than pointing us to the kind of current website um, that is up there. And, and, and all the plans are there for you to see and make judgment on. Um, and we've got some questions back on that stuff coming up in a little bit later. So let's delve in a little bit to the history of the Riverside stand and, and previous developments that have attempted to be there. Uh, Farrell, um, we know that the last stand, initially the Eric Miller stand, was built in 1972, which actually in context of the rest of the stadium, which when you consider that um, the Johnny Haynes stand, as we now know it, was um, built um, not best part of 100 years beforehand, it didn't last all that long, but maybe it wasn't the most future-proofed stand in the world, was it? No, and uh, I, t I suppose Tom kind of touched on it earlier that it wasn't exactly the you know the most well designed stand in the world for 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 the future. You know, it was literally a place where people came to sit and watch football, um, whereas beforehand it was just a place where people came to stand and watch football along the river. Um, and in that case, it 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 was not really fit for purpose for modern day football, probably even as short ago as 15 years ago really and and that's probably why previous Al previously Al-Fayed has been looking to redevelop the stand for such a long 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 time um you know it it was it was kind of refitted with lounges um you know we had the chairman's lounge and and you know we had McBride's bar and whatnot but those kind of things were fit in as sort of like an afterthought you know not that long ago um you know the the plans it, it shows that right from the off that um it was obviously the the only real sort of 
area of development apart from you know completely demolishing the stadium at all and rebuilding which is what you know some of the original original um plans were but um you know with with you know Alfaya decided uh, a long time, a long time afterwards, that he was going to actually just take the roof off the stand and and build a whole new stand on top of what was there already, and that that obviously was um, was canned by by Shahi Khan when he when he took over, um, and you know apart from the old you know the old Riverside stand, there was, there really wasn't much to it. It was, but it, weirdly, it probably was the nicest one, which which goes a, a lot to be saying about the rest of the stadium, really. Yeah, I mean, obviously, other than the Johnny Haynes, but I guess that has, whilst it looks beautiful, um, as someone that sits in there regularly, Farrell, you'll know the uh, impracticalities uh, of being a uh, of being a season ticket holder in there. Tom, um, those initial Riverside plans that were drawn up in, in 2013, what happened to them? Why were they shelved? It looked like it was an absolute goer, but it just got put on hold and the can got kicked down the road for, for so many years on this. Yeah. And you know, the, at various points, different owners of the club have got planning permission for different redevelopments. And this is the first one, obviously now that's actually got to the stage of, of work starting. So, you know, people uh, uh, have celebrated planning permission in the past and it doesn't necessarily mean that anything then happens. I think what happened with the, the previous stand designers. You've got to go back a stage before that, which is um, uh, when Alpha first came in in the, the late 90s, had plans for a redevelopment that was all of, effectively, apart from the, the uh, facade of the Stevenage Road uh, stand, was a 30,000-seater stadium, all encased within, within that thing, meant moving the actual physical cottage into the park, and then it would have had a sort of a bowl effect uh, ground, which got planning permission. It was a long process and was involved in campaigns ironically supporting the club uh, in those um, against other local residents when I was a local resident um, uh, and it got permission and then the cost spiralled and pulled out of it and that's what led to the move to Loftus Road uh, and the whole idea about moving permanently to White City which then led to going back to the cottage and you've got to remember at the point at that point uh they were talking about being initially being back to Craven Cottage on a temporary basis. That then became uh, permanent. And at that point, they said, well, we've got, still got to do something about the big problem we have here, which is the reason why Al-Fayed in the, previously had thought about moving out and previously before that about building uh, you know, all the way around, which, which is just the lack of facilities for what is a very significant income stream for football clubs. Um, and as Farrell reflected, the, the Riverside stand being built in the 19, early 1970s and designed in the early 1970s was football was very, very different then. There wasn't very much in terms of sponsorship or corporate hospitality or any of those sorts of things, which are a significant income stream in the way that um, other clubs have been able to overtake Fulham in that context for, you know, over the, over the last sort of 40 odd years. So, you know, it, it goes it goes back a long way. Uh, this, the last stand that was um, that was proposed that got permission in 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 2013 or 2012 2013 uh, was about trying to get some of those facilities there at a relatively low cost and keeping Fulham uh, at Craven Cottage because they tried they tried to cross that Rubicon once and realised it wasn't worth wasn't worth the fight and it wasn't going to work, um, and that's why it was effectively putting an extra skin and extra tier on top and a bit around the back of the existing stand and, and and that was the design. I think what happened though was it got permission 
then when the ownership changed and they looked at it again there were two things one is the facilities then that were envisaged were not going to be that that great overall in terms of those other income streams and secondly that there were lots more conditions in that planning permission on when you could use the stand and facilities associated with it on non-match days and that's what led to then uh, a new design going through planning um, and getting this planning permission and now obviously under construction so there were there were shortcomings with that design um, I think not so much to do with you know the look of this that that does that stand that got permission because I think a lot of people might have thought that looked better than the the one which is being built well that's obviously a subjective uh, uh view um uh and the capacity wouldn't have been very much different but it was more about the other facilities and what that could mean in terms of uh, of other other streams for income for the club but for you tom the main thing that and and i guess anyone that was involved in that back to the cottage campaign will feel so strongly about this is is you believe that the building of this stand rubber stamps fulham's place at craven cottage and whilst there's not really been too many doubts that the khans had any intentions other than to keep us at craven cottage i guess the but the um, protracted purchase of, of Wembley Stadium and all that Fulham fans have, have always perennially been worried that one day we will be shipped out of our beautiful ground which which for many is Fulham and if we ever moved out of there I think there would be thousands and thousands that would say you know what I don't even want to be a Fulham supporter anymore yeah and you know to be completely frank about it I probably fit within that category and you know got to remember that in my lifetime every single person who has owned Fulham Football Club apart from the current owners, at some time has decided that they saw the future of Fulham being out of Craven Cottage. Um, and so it's, there's a reason why there's that level of, um, of, of suspicion that's always there in the background. Um, and I think, you know, genuinely think we're past that now with this, this project because what this means is that there is no argument that can be made to justify why, as owner of Fulham Football Club, once that stand is built, there's any reason to move out of Craven Cottage. And that's what effectively secures our place there, uh, I think, for the long term. And, you know, I think in the period that has gone on since since we did leave temporarily, um, where pl- many teams have moved to, to new stand, new grounds around the place, actually you can see then the attraction of a more traditional ground, more enclosed ground, a ground that's got some character and history to it. And I think actually this stand and this development is so important to the long-term future of Fulham, way beyond the current owners and owners beyond that, but, you know, well into the long-term and maintaining the character and the integrity of the club, which is an integral part of its identity, I think, and why people, lots of people who are Fulham fans, um, you know, think so highly of the ground and the walk to the ground and everything that goes around it. And this enables that to be something which can be protected for the long-term. And that's why it's so, I think, so critically important. And frankly, to my mind, much more important than what division we happen to be playing in next year or the year after. It's getting this built, getting this uh, stand in place and then, you know, building a sustainable club from there. Okay, well, I mean, I think um, we've probably talked about most things to do with the stand and the history behind it. Farrell, just a quick one before we move on to some questions. I personally feel you look at all the iterations of, of Craven Cottage and... I um, have a mug, actually, at my parents' house, which is um, the mug that was sold at Craven Cottage on the day that we moved out to go to Loftus Road. And there is a picture of the proposed ground then. 
and I at the time thought oh that would be so cool maybe it was um, the teenage self thinking that one of these um, kind of identikit grounds would be would be wicked I look at that now in sheer horror and and realize that with this current development and if and if it all looks great and goes ahead it's almost the ideal scenario and and I, I find it ha- mad to believe that Fulham ever strongly considered knocking down the cottage and and, re- and redeveloping the grounds in that way this what we're doing right now seems like the most sensible plan that's ever been drawn up really well i've just been listening to what tom was saying and what you've just said and i couldn't i mean i was just smiling throughout the whole of it because you know you get that kind of like unwritten sort of identity that you know the craven cottage is is fulham and fulham is craven cottage and the fans are also part of the club and therefore the fans are also part of 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 the stadium as well so you know for that kind of like balance to be upset is is you know going to be it's going to have long lasting implications for the for the supporter base and you know to to think and i i do remember seeing those plans i remember there was a a um glass box inside the the uh the um the much much smaller Fulham club shop at the stadium that was that was permanently up and I remember seeing it and I remember not feeling very much for it at the time but you know that was a younger naive me um and you know to even think about you know a, a potential new Craven Cottage at um at what the location was sort of like going to be which was going to be at the top of Wood Lane which would have only put us you know about half a mile away from um QPR um and just thinking you know, coming out of Wood Lane Station or White City Station and traipsing along, along the uh, the single carriageway um, towards a new Craven Cottage and underneath the railway bridge, it just it just wouldn't it wouldn't even come close to the walk that you get from Putney Bridge Station along the river or up up along Fulham Palace Road or you know coming from Hammersmith. It would it pales into into you know it's it's a no contest and. Now, as you quite rightly say, that you have you have the stadium in its current form and with the new Riverside coming in, each stand comes with its own significant identity, which, you know, you look at that particular stand and or each stand, the Hammersmith stand, the Johnny Haynes stand, the Putney end and the new Riverside stand that if you see a picture of that, that particular building, you and most fans of the country you know, would identify that stand as being one of the stands at Craven Cottage. Okay, right. Well, um, I'm going to get some questions um, just before we end um, the podcast. So um, first one here from Big Metro on Twitter. Um, He says, can we use the stand as an excuse to improve atmosphere and chanting at the cottage? Um, I'm not sure excuse is quite quite the right word, but he does raise an interesting point there. And particularly the way that the Riverside stand is going to kind of cocoon the rest of the the rest of the stadium with those corners being filled in tom it could make the cottage potentially more atmospheric of course lots of people said that the new spurs for uh, ground would be really atmospheric but it does actually rely on people opening their mouths and singing yeah it obviously it does i, th- I think yeah i don't think that the new riverside is going to be very different from the old riverside in terms of its overall contribution to the uh the singing that happens in in the ground 
but um, you're right that those corners being enclosed, I think, will help in terms of some of the acoustics because we do lose a lot of sound out in those out in the corners. So I think that will have a beneficial. But the other beneficial impact it could potentially have is look, we're going to have four thousand more seats um, uh, to sell uh, match to match. Then the pricing that could then uh, work to maybe sell the seats that are vacated in other parts of the ground could be done in a way which might encourage people who may be more uh, likely to make a noise and that could help the atmosphere as well. Yeah, indeed. That's exactly how I kind of feel about it really. And I really hope that the club does uh, adopt cheaper seats in other parts of the ground, um, kind of offset by those clearly more expensive seats that are going to be sold um, in the new stand. Um, I've got two questions uh, along similar lines here. The first one from Frankie Taylor, which is, if it were to be renamed, what would you change it to? And the second one from Pete saying, what are the chances of a Muhammad a Muhammad Al-Fayed tribute in the new stand? Now, I think the talks have died down, but there's always been a rumbling of some sort of dedication to Al-Fayed. But I think the fan base may be a bit more split than people believe on whether Al-Fayed deserves a tribute like that at Craven Cottage. Farrell, Farrell, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think that um, considering, you know, Tom quite rightly brought up the fact that we've probably never been closer, certainly in this century, to Fulham not being at Craven Cottage because of Al-Fayed. And quite rightly, when... You know, when we actually returned to the cottage, it was only supposed to be a temporary move. So er- erecting some sort of tribute to him because that there is a um, a new stand at, at, at the cottage in, in in because of well, in light of someone that might have actually moved us away is a bit is a bit weird. Um, also, I don't know whether Shahid Khan would be particularly. Um, pleased about having a tribute to the former owner um, in the stadium. I think that there's probably, you know, if you look at Fulham's entire history, there's quite a lot of people that um, there's quite a lot of people that could be sort of celebrated. You know, there's there's not one person that is is responsible for for, for Fulham being here today, and there's probably quite a lot of people that could um, potentially be there you know jimmy hill for example i would say might be more deserving arguably and that you know we could probably have a whole podcast just talking about him uh tom your thoughts um i don't think that there's any chance of there being a sort of statue or memorial to muhammad alfred in the in that new stand um i do think that you know the contribution that he made as chairman over all those years has some very, very uh, had some very, very significant benefits to Fulham. But ultimately, he has been the only person, despite many others trying, to move Fulham out of Fulham Football Club. And you know, I don't want to make too much of a sour note, but remember when it was when that happened, it was under a subterfuge that this was to enable work to happen on a new stand, on a new you know new new stands being built while we were away. And yet, as soon as we left, then it became clear that wasn't going to be the case. So, um, I don't think. I don't think it's. Firstly, it's likely. I don't think necess- think it's necessarily appropriate either. I think there are other ways of reflecting the contribution that former owners have made to the club in the history of the in the history of the club, and that being reflected in other ways. But I don't think it would, it would be appropriate or particularly welcome to have a some sort of statue or memorial to 
to to him on the, in, as part of that stand. I just think the associations don't work. No, I also think that it doesn't quite seem right. The potential of renaming the stand is an interesting one, but part of me thinks that the stand's identity is the fact that it is called the Riverside Stand, and and if they want to market it as such, that maybe naming it after a former player or owner or manager or anything like that might take away from the kind of marketing identity of the stand. If you if you call it something else, well, you can call it the Mickey Conroy Stand. That would that would uh, garnish some uh, <laughs> some support. I mean, I think that's right. I think. You know, you've got to remember that the the marketing of the non-match day use is going to be about this is the concept is Fulham Pier and that's um, attracting people to use those facilities on non-match day. And on match days, it's about uh, attracting people who are going to uh, buy some of those premium packages. And I think the Riverside or some form of words that incorporates Riverside or Thames um, helps to get across what's attractive and different and therefore potentially of high value about it um, much better than it being named the visit florida stand or whatever other <laughs> the daffabet stand or whatever other potential um, commercial naming deal there might be and so i suspect they'll be a bit more imaginative than just simply selling off the naming rights in the ways that uh, the way that other uh, other stands happen uh, you know around the around the country um ben walbron asks this is uh, probably got quite a quick answer um tom uh, any chance the club will add a sensory room in the expansion to increase accessibility on game day i would imagine not decided but probably uh high on their intentions when they decide what to kit out the stand with uh yes and there'll be requirements for some of those types of facilities there is a sensory room now in the stevenage road stand that was introduced i think Last season, or early part of this season, partly in response to calls from 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 fans who wanted to make use of that, so there is that facility now, and I'm sure that will be in the new stand because they will have to have that. Yeah, and do get in contact with the Fulham DSA if you ever have uh, any uh, kind of issues like that about accessibility. Um, Matthew Gold, uh, final question for you both, and I think we've kind of covered it, but I think it's. Uh, one to ram home really he asks is it really worth it it's not like we filled the ground before and we certainly won't hit 30,000 fans if we stay in the championship so is this the best use of the Khan's money at this specific moment of their tenure Farrell Monk I'll start with you um, I think absolutely yes um, as we've covered it quite a lot um, you know the match day income would would increase quite a lot in terms of because you know there's such a finite number on sort of like commercial selling that we can do at the moment um and you know i don't know what the figures are but likely especially when we're in the premier league and quite potentially in the championship they must have sold out quite a lot of those times you know uh demand must have outstripped supply in that regard and you know in terms of you know if if we get back to the premier league the you know the, the increase in revenue on that you know back of a fag packet kind of calculations the you know we thankfully the the financials were released um the other week and we made something like 10.5 million from gate receipts alone with a 19,000 capacity stadium now you're we're going to have you know more than 10,000 extra seats we're going to have way more commercial opportunities that figure could that gate receipts could be an, worth an extra 10 10 million pounds a year maybe 12 million pounds a year but he does make an interesting point where are we going to find the extra fans from well i think the premier league does have its i think we certainly could have filled 30,000 uh, and you know as we've seen down the years 
Fulham, we never thought that we'd be able to sell out a 26,000 seater stadium because, you know, considering for many of those years, we weren't even selling out 22,000. And I think the club over a number of years that the sort of have been able to capitalize on the increased popularity of, of football and not just, um, well, including Premier League football. And, you know, I think that Fulham has unique characteristics of being a sort of fashionable club in London that is accessible and um you know relatively successful and if you can't get tickets that are going to be way more expensive if you want to go to Chelsea Arsenal Tottenham or anyone else in the in the area um Tom what are your thoughts on on Matthew's question or more point really that he made yeah I think look provided that the marketing and the uh fit out and everything is done well then it's a very good investment from the Khan's perspective partly because of that point about the uh, the other income opportunities that come from that that we've discussed already. You know, the additional seats, then that becomes a challenge about selling those, but in the way that's quite a good challenge and that enables, I think, some uh, innovation and imagination about how you do that in ways which I think can be of a much wider benefit to the existing supporter base and the atmosphere and everything else that comes with it. So, you know, I don't think the 4,000 additional seats is the is the main factor, actually. I think it's more about... Uh, non-match day use and match day available facilities that we just don't have and didn't have previously uh, that make this an investment worth making. Um, but that extra capacity and, and the way in which we manage to fill that and seek to fill that is, I think, something that leaves open a huge range of positive possibilities that uh, if the club have got a lot any sense, they will engage the fan base in trying to do. All right. Well, I think that uh, pretty much concludes everything uh, today. We said we'd go in depth on the Riverside stand and that is exactly uh, what we've done. So uh, more podcasts coming your way uh, in the the next few weeks. Uh, And of course, uh, we haven't failed to notice that in a fortnight's time uh, is the 10th anniversary of that famous Hamburg game. So there will uh, be another unforgettable episode. That is the name of the podcast, not the fact it will be unforgettable, but we hope it will be uh coming your way in a couple of weeks and hopefully next week uh jack collins and dean jones are going to be sitting down and actually will be discussing a little bit more about the current situation um Dean caught up with Scott Parker uh, only uh, last week. Uh, he did an interview for the company he works for, so he's going to share a few of the insights uh, that he got for, from Scott Parker. You can read Dean's uh, interview on the Bleach Report website, though, so hopefully that'll be a nice little treat for you next week. Um, but on this Riverside episode, that's all we've got for today. So uh, I just want to say, Farrell Bunk, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Uh, and Tom Greatrix, thank you for all your input too. Thanks, Danny. Cheers. All right. Take care. Hope you all stay safe and uh, we will be back very, very soon. Come on, you whites.